again and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady living queer and everything in that spectrum, our stories, our experiences, and most importantly, what represents us and who we are to the world, I suppose. Uh, today I have a repeat guest. I'm so excited to be talking to them again. I haven't spoken to them since Clexicon and wow, it feels like we're right back there again. Does it? Am I making it this does. up? Am I going too we're- far? <laughs> We're we're back in our Airbnb, chilling in that front room with the hugely vaulted ceilings, way too high ceilings for a condo. <laughs> and, uh, with strangers knocking on our doors at like the middle of the night, where I refuse to open the door because I don't know Las Vegas. That was it. That's where we were. <laughs> we were in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's, and that's generally but, a wise decision to not answer the door at three in the morning. <laughs> was it three? I don't even remember. Like, time moved so weirdly during that weekend. I I could not even tell you if it was a day, three days, a week. I, I don't know. I was so tired. <laughs> that's Vegas for you. And I lived there for 12 years, so <laughs> oh <my gosh>. time <sighs> had no meaning. So, Jen, what has happened with you since the last time we talked? I mean, it's been since... June of last uh, June year. June of last year, yeah. Well, um, a lot. A lot has happened. A lot. Uh, yeah, a lot. Um, I am currently um, eight months pregnant. Eight months. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just put an actual, like, I just literally figured out that timeline. Eight months. Yeah. <laughs> Like just the beginning of eight months, like just just at the very beginning of eight months. Technically, I've got seven weeks to go. I'll put it that way. I bet you're um, ready for it to be over. Yes and no. Um, the house isn't in the state that I'd like it to be in, um, and that's not just like a, a nesting instinct. It's just also I have always kind of tried to maintain a sort of orderly household, and um, our household has fallen into a bit of disarray. Is that my um my mother had to move in with us because my father actually passed away. Um, oh no. Yeah. He, he passed away in here. Here's interesting. Here's an interesting story for you. So my dad passed away and a week later, this baby was conceived. <laughs> so Ooh. yeah. So, we'll, we'll, <laughs> so that's interesting. Our, um, man, I was about to be like, fingers crossed. It's a girl. Cause I was making a joke. Cause I don't know reincarnation, but now that I'm thinking about it, how do you feel about the baby's gender? We should probably get into that later. You were in the middle of a story. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, no, I'll circle back around to that. But um, yeah. Uh, so so basically, when my when my father passed away, um, it, it left my mom in a bit of a financial um mess. So my mom had to uh, move in with us. So. Uh, that's been an interesting adventure to we because we were not anticipating no one who anticipates that right and uh, yeah so that's that's made for an an interesting kind of development in our house because we suddenly have someone living with us who very much has their quirks and um, eccentricities and has their way of doing things and um, (laughs) and we have our way of doing things and we're not used to having a third party you know and kind of in our space and uh you know so that's been a bit of a uh an interesting experience um but as a result you know the house is a bit disorderly because we've got you know stuff in the house that we didn't have room for <laughs> uh so so yeah that's got me and my wife a little bit stressed out um and uh uh trying to tr- trying to stay on top of things but you know 
during the second trimester, we were doing a lot of traveling uh, and for for ERPA related stuff. Uh, for listeners who might not uh, re- recall, I'm the um, creator and main host of the ERPA Fiction Addiction podcast. And so as a result, we're pretty deeply entangled with the ERPA fandom and um, get asked to come to conventions and moderate panels and things. So a lot of the panels, or a lot of the conventions we did were happening during the se- second trimester where you have the most energy. Uh, oh, pretty much, yeah, right. But the problem is, we wrapped up wrapped up uh, uh, the Acon Canada convention, and like two weeks later, I was into the third trimester, and my energy just went <laughs> right through the floor. So it's just been really hard at home trying to gin up the energy gin to up. do what needs to be done to get the house ready. So yeah, it's a, it's a little stressful. It's a little stressful right now in the old in the old Jen's household. <laughs> I absolutely love that you guys have the phrase Jen up because your wife is also named Jen. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> well, I was actually referring to the G I N uh Jen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> but that, I guess you're you're absolutely right. It does work it does work both ways. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, but as far as the gender of the baby, we um, don't care. We don't know. It will be a surprise on the day. Um, and even then, uh, whatever the assigned sex, you know, whatever the sex characteristics are externally, um, that's not something that we put a whole lot of weight into. Um, we're actually toying with the idea here in Washington State. You can actually have an X marker for gender and then ultimately change it later. Um, and so we're, we're actually thinking about that because, honestly, we won't know until this kid starts to give us an idea of who they are as a person. Um, and that's going to take some time. Uh, so we don't want to pigeonhole our kid into an identity that maybe doesn't align with who they truly are, um, it, you know, from the outset. So we want to maybe give them the freedom to tell us who they are ultimately, and then make that decision down the line. Oh, okay. That's man. I, I'm just thinking of all the times you're going to take, the little bundle into pre-K and then have to answer the question when the teacher, so is this a girl or a boy? Or, <laughs> you know, then ha- just them assume or mm-hmm. have you guys decided on a name yet? We do have two names uh, and they each lean one way or the other, um, but not heavily. And uh, so we're going to kind of wait and see, you know, uh, what vibe we get when they, when they make their appearance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you're not going now, so that's special. That's a special secret. It is a special secret. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this podcast will come out in no end of November, <laughs> so the baby might be born already. You can let me know. It can be off the record. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. telling you, you. You don't have to tell me anything. You, you can. I'll, I will let you know once once they get here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then if, if, if this podcast is airing at the end of November, you can you can release that information then. Well. Whatever. I, I, regardless of the fact that I record all of my conversations, I'm really good at keeping a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you don't have to tell me anything. Um, how about we talk about, like, recently, not even recently, it was like months and months ago, uh, you, you announced to all of Twitterdom that you have discovered that you were an binary How? Hmm. Is it discovered? Is it coming out? Is it, there's so many words these days. How do you feel about it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that discovered is the right word. Maybe realized, I think. Um, and this is after years and years of kind of trying to figure out where I fit in the gender spectrum. 
Uh, I never felt fully comfortable identifying either one way or the other, male or female. Um, I think growing up, I always tended toward more of a masculine identity. Um, but like, I mean, I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to get on this. Uh, and I'm as also deep kind of, as you want to go, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm also kind of like mentally kind of going, okay, how, how much do I want to reveal, um, about my own kind of personal journey on this? But, uh-huh. um, but I guess a lot, because, you know, I, what I we talked about, <laughs> you're like, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, I want to talk about this. So it'd be weird if I was like, I want to talk about this, except I don't. Uh, so um, people are but, people are interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I do. I do want to talk about this. So um, basically, I it, it's this weird middle gray area. And the, and the fact of the matter is that um, gray areas didn't really come into play as far as gender goes until very recently. Um, as, and when I, not to say that, that non-binary individuals haven't always existed. Of course we have, it's more of a thing. We didn't have the language for it. Uh, it's always been, um, you are one thing or the other thing. And so, uh, it's only in the last, like, decade-ish, if that, that we've started to embrace this kind of non-binary gray area of gender identity. And so really, you know, I'm, I was born in 79, you know, grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, became a young adult in the early thousands and uh, didn't have the language for it yet. It was either you are, if you, if you are born uh, assigned female, but you don't feel like you're female, then you must be male, which means you must be trans. And I never um, really felt like that was true for me. I did go through a a long period of questioning, especially in my late teens, early 20s, going, well, maybe I am trans. And it's just like, this is what trans feels like. Maybe just trans is like, well, I definitely don't feel fully female. I definitely don't feel fully male. But I mean, I do lean more one way than the other. So maybe this is just what it is, you know. And then kind of flip-flopping on that and going, well, but if I don't feel fully male, then I must be female, even though that doesn't feel right either. And so just a long time of questioning. And for me, a lot of it came in um, a form of um, kind of dysphoria with my physical appearance. My entire life, I've struggled with bottom dysphoria. and when I went through puberty, um, a bit of top dysphoria. And really the top dysphoria wasn't so much the fact that I had or have breasts. It was that they were huge. <laughs> Th- thanks to, thanks to you know, uh, both my paternal and maternal sides having women who are very <clears throat> stacked. <laughs> so, you know, when you go through you know, your life up to like, I think I started um, presenting um, with, you know, uh, uh, breasts when I was in my gosh, 10 or 11 years old. It was pretty oh, young. No. Yeah. But when you go up to through your life to that point and you're essentially androgynous, right. And I was confused as a boy more often than not, because I, my parents allowed me to get my hair cut quite short when I was um, in third grade. And it was a bowl cut, you know, standard 1980s bowl cut, but, uh, but people would look at me and they would assume I was a boy and I, I reveled in it. I reveled <laughs> in being confused as a boy. It just felt um, good and uh, it felt more correct. But again, 
not entirely correct. I mean, there were times where I'd be confused for a while and I'd be like, excuse me, I'm not a boy, <laughs> you know? Um, but then suddenly your body starts to betray you through puberty and suddenly you go from being this flat chested androgynous, very, um, you know, a neutral looking person to a very obvious female, then you have no control over it. Um, I, I remember getting in arguments with my mother, um, and stop me if I'm rambling. Uh, but I remember, no. uh, getting in arguments with my mother where she felt like my rejection of my chest was a rejection of her. And I'm like, Goodness. wow, it is so not about you, <laughs> you know, but when you're 11 and 12 years old, you don't necessarily have that language against your mother. Right. So, right. And like what that um, was, that was the eighties. Right. So what, what kind of like parenting bullshit was going around then? I, I feel like an episode of Rugrats where it was like Lipschitz, like they all listened to like this one baby psychiatrist or something. And it was yeah. just, ugh. fortunately, um, I was very fortunate in that for the most part, my parents didn't try to thrust any sort of, um, hardcore gender like role onto me. Uh, they were when they recognized when I was five years old that I was going to be up trees, like climbing and that I was going to be playing with, you know, the other boys in the neighborhood. And then I was rough and tumble and I guess, you know, tomboy or whatever, uh, they were totally fine with it. They let me dress how I wanted to dress. They didn't force me into clothing I wasn't comfortable with. Um, I remember the last dress I ever wore. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and uh, I was so upset about being put in it uh, that I immediately climbed a tree and ripped it. Oh, my um, gosh. And then my parents were like, okay, well, clearly this is not going to happen again. Uh, so, you know, and again, my parents allowed me to get short haircuts, and they allowed me to um, wear more, I guess, boyish presenting clothing. And, and they never really pushed me on presenting as more female, um, even after I went through puberty, it was never a thing of like, Oh, why don't you wear makeup? And why don't you wear dresses? And why don't you wear black? It was always like, instead it was more of my mom saying things like, why don't you wear clothes that fit you a little bit better? Um, because I was wearing baggy clothes to disguise my chest, you know? And, uh, and, um, so, or, or baggy clothes just to design to disguise my more feminine, you know, I had, I had curvy hips coming in and, you know, the, um, you know, the, the chest itself. And, um, so I would wear baggier clothes to try to mask these things. And, um, so I'm sorry, can you hear my neighbor's dog? <laughs> A little bit and that's okay. okay. We are okay. animal friendly here until they okay. meow into the microphone and then they have to be stopped. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I, unfortunately I, I can control my pets, but I cannot control the neighbor. Um, but, uh, you know, so it would be things like that. Like, why don't you wear slightly, you know, better fitting clothing because, um, you know, you, you, I think my mom used to try to make me feel awkward by saying, you know, when you wear a big, big, big baggy shirt like that, you look pregnant, you know, and, <laughs> When you're 14 years old, that's that will cause you to kind of go, yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> um, but it didn't stop me because, again, my prerogative was to try to disguise my figure, not to reveal it. Um, but uh, where was I? Dysphoria. Yes. So when I got to uh, my mid-20s and I was working for a company that had fantastic insurance, I was able to go and have a breast reduction. And that's all I wanted. I didn't want them to go away. I didn't want a mastectomy. I didn't want a chest reconstruction to have a masculine chest. I just wanted a smaller chest, something that I felt was a bit more manageable, something that was a bit more me. And I didn't go down that small. I mean, comparatively, like you have to understand, I went in with like uh, triple D's and I came out with C's. I mean, that's so, like a lot of backstring you don't have to have anymore. 
Exactly. And I was actually, the reason insurance covered is because I was having really negative um, uh, impacts on my spine and upper back because of the weight of these, of this chest. So, so luckily insurance covered it and, um, and I only had to do a, a copay, which was fantastic. And I finally had a chest that I felt fit me is still feminine, still a woman's chest. Right. Uh, you know, and, but not that small. I mean, you know, most women are like, Oh man, I'd kill for a C, you know? And I'm like, I just wanted, I I'd kill for a C because I wanted to go down, not up, you know? So, right. You know, so, um, so yeah. So once that was sorted out, uh, that part of my dysphoria went almost completely away. In fact, not almost, it went completely away. I have no issue with my upper chest anymore at all, but it did nothing to solve the bottom dysphoria. And I mean, going back to when I was a kid, I would, I would put thing, I would do things like shoving a sock in my underwear, you know. I mean, when I was a kid, like nine years old, ten years old, put a sock in my underpants, or I would try to uh, cobble together a, a means to be able to pee standing up, which failed more often than not. <laughs> I mean, it's so much um, easier. Yeah. Right. Um, so really that dysphoria has persisted my whole life and is part of why I went through that period in my late teens, early twenties going, could I be trans? Because this is such a dysphoric part of my life. And it just, again, it just never felt right. I I don't want to, I don't want to be a man. I don't want to be a man, but I don't fully identify with, with being a woman, obviously. So it wasn't until the last few years where this notion of being non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender fluid, whatever, really started to gain traction in popular like language that I was like, ding, ding, ding. Oh, that's what it is. I'm neither one nor the other. I can happily exist in this gray space. And um, so that is honestly... Uh, how I kind of came came to that realization, or um, I'm mostly reliefalization, right? Because I'm just so relieved, like, like you know, it's like, oh, I've got I've got language for it, and you know, uh, I know you asked before we started, you know, about pronouns and things like that, and honestly, like, I don't care, I don't care about pronouns for myself, I don't really care about that, I don't care if someone who doesn't know me looks at me and makes an assumption. For me, this is my personal like identity that is, you know, it's important to me and my mental and emotional health to have this identity sorted out for my own sake. Um, and, uh, I know it's very, very different for other folk out there who, who do need that, you know, people to recognize their, their pronouns differently and, and, and things like that. But for me, it, it really doesn't matter. It's part of why I still identify as a lesbian and not just as queer. Um, I mean, I do kind of use the term queer more often than lesbian and that's just because it's more of a mm, umbrella term. Right. But I still do, uh, you know, if someone were to ask me to fill out a form, I'd write down lesbian, you know, <laughs> um, and instead of just queer, uh, and it's, Again, because the the whole non-binary side of it is that that's for me. That's my gift to myself of self-actualization. It's like I understand who I am now, and I don't have to stress about it anymore. And I know that I can um, take steps to help alleviate elements of dysphoria without feeling weird about it anymore, uh, without feeling like I'm sticking my toe into waters that previously didn't feel quite right. You know, so so yeah, I don't. I feel like I'm just rambling on and on, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, this, this is, this is all very important stuff. So it's no, no rambling happening here. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs>
Um, but yeah, I know when uh, when uh, my wife and I have been you know, we've been discussing having children pretty much the entire time we've been together. And I was always the one pushing harder. And I've always been the one who wanted to carry, um, which I think confuses people further because they go, wait a minute, but you're like the butch one. <laughs> like, <laughs> wouldn't like, wait, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I don't have those urges and desires. And it doesn't mean I haven't always had them. And it's another reason why the whole trans thing didn't fit with me. Cause I'm like, not that there aren't trans men out there um, who haven't had or are currently having children, because, you know, they've got a uterus and they're not afraid to use it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's just for me that I just felt like, well, if I'm um, if I'm a man, then that's an element that kind of gets cut out of my life as far as being able to actually carry and have a child. And it's something that I've always wanted. Uh, so, uh, you know, I know that when my wife and I finally got to the point where we were ready to start taking steps to make it happen uh people were confused because they again it was like the but wait but your wife's like the femme one and you're like the butch one and i don't understand like wait a minute like hang on you know it's like so i've got it's like i said i've got a uterus i'm not afraid to use it and uh um you know i welcome questions as long as you know the people asking the questions are willing to hear the answers you know what i mean that's a big thing yeah like a lot of time they'll ask and they'll just like i don't know it's it's like they ask just because they have as I said, they don't listen to the answer a lot of times. They're just like, but that doesn't make sense. And it's like, what? Right. Yeah. It's like they've already come to their own conclusions in their minds. So anything that contradicts that, even if it's the truth, is is uh, really difficult for them to comprehend or hear. Um, or they can't open their mind to be able to take that new information in. Have you already started Saving questions? Um, <laughs> yes, but it's always along the lines of like, it typically is along the lines of like, that's so surprising because I wouldn't have expected you to be the one to want to carry, <laughs> you know? And it is that they're not saying because you're the guy, <laughs> you know? But that, and these questions typically come from straight individuals. They don't, they don't usually come from uh, folks in the queer community. Although, I mean, I have had one or two rather inappropriate questions come to me from people um, who I would have thought would know better. Oh. Uh, you know? Like when I first um, was announcing to friends that um, that uh, you know I was pregnant, my wife and I were expecting a baby. I had one friend who I've been friends with for longer than I've known my wife, who like basically said to me that I was a different person now. <laughs> oh, and I had ooh. yeah, no, I that I had changed who I was, and I was just like no. <laughs> I really haven't. And if that's what you think, then you've never, you don't know me at all, despite the number of years that we've logged together. Um, no, your perception of me has changed, not my perception of me. I know who I am. And this is something that is like an integral part of me and always has been. Uh, so that, that kind of shook me a little bit. And, um, then, of course, they also started asking the questions that you should never ask of any couple, regardless of, of uh, gender or sexuality. And that is the, um, so how did you conceive this child question? Look it up, you. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm so sorry. I mean, there are resources out there. I get that there's a lot of like negative propaganda and there's a lot of misinformation, but for the love of God, like go get an idea first. Well, like they literally asked me if I'd slept with the donor and I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) What, what do you mean do they watch? Are they watching Shameless? That's not how it works. Yeah, I know. So that really caught me off guard. Uh, That really caught me off guard. And I, I, um, it was one of those things where I had to make a decision in that moment of, well, do am I, I? Am I still going to be friends with them? Well, not even that is it's because yes, we we remained friends, but it was just like okay, how do I approach this? Because I tried to think about it from their point of view, and I always try to do that when when someone comes at me with with really kind of left field, you know, borderline or cross the borderline inappropriate questions like that. I always stop and think, okay, what's their perspective on this? Um, how, because this is news that they've just received. I've had years to, uh, prepare myself. This is news they've just received. How are they, you know, what are they thinking and how are they feeling? And I always try to do that when I'm talking to people about like sensitive stuff. And so, you know, I thought about it for a second and I'm like, I have to make a choice right now. Am I going to snap at them for being inappropriate and asking inappropriate questions? Or am I going to be open and try to explain this in as, uh, you know, uh, honest a way as possible that gives them the true and factual information while also maybe intimating that what they're asking is not the greatest line of questioning in the world. <laughs> and that's, that's what I ended up doing is responding in that way. Um, you know, so, and just in case anyone's not wondering, no, I did not sleep with the donor. <laughs> I thought you were about to say sleep with the devil. And I'm like, it no, sounds the same. I didn't do that either. <laughs> uh, thank you. This is not Rosemary's baby. Oh, God. That movie. <laughs> I spent so much of my life not seeing it, and I made the mistake of watching it once because everyone talks about it. And I just like, oh, this is something I didn't need to see. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It's one of those, you know what? I found it, going off on a momentary 1970s horror film tangent, I found it kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the main problem. Was it was it was a lot of very boring. Like I, I've heard yeah. people critique it. Like I've heard podcasts where they talk about it, and those podcasts are far more interesting than the actual thing because it's like, it, it's like eighty percent of that. I was bored. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. Uh, I just was like, okay, yeah, go, Mia Farrow, pregnant devil baby. Okay, moving on. Uh, but. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think that was just the seventies, uh, but <laughs> could be true. Could be true. I mean, everyone was so coked up. You know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it had to be a completely different experience watching that movie. Completely just, just, just out of your mind, high on cocaine, um, and that had to make it a lot more interesting. That that's the only thing I can figure. Right, and I'm just um, also so happy that I'm not straight and have to put up with that bullshit. Yeah, like, right. I mean, devils. Yeah, that's another story. But just like. <laughs> Being in a relationship with a dude, I'm so glad I don't have to do that. Oh, tell me about it. I'm oh my so gosh. I'm so glad I don't have to do that. Tell me about it. I mean, not not to say that, that um, you know, uh, queer relationships don't have their own uh, you know, kind of stereotypical dramas and whatnot, but, like, straight people are weird. Like, I just don't I, understand. I know. Like, I, you know, the whole thing about the gender roles, I just, I mean, you can yeah. literally just, I... I don't even know how to say this without sounding like, like conspiracists. Like, I think I, I spoke to someone the other day from like a long time ago, I think I'm pretty sure 
it was my sister who said this to me because and she just was saying like wow you're turning into like a feminazi and me and my sister don't talk a lot so that uh-huh. that's not surprising coming from her mouth <laughs> but like now sometimes I say these things and I'm like you know I can kind of see what she's saying but it's like why does the world revolve around men and it's the patriarchy I get it uh-huh. and when you yeah. think about gender roles that's all from them so we can just blame the patriarchy for everything I have yet to find anything that I can't blame the patriarchy for and it's great um <laughs> I, I have to agree with you. I think every bad idea um, that has become like a, a, a cultural, cor- you know, cornerstone can be blamed on the patriarchy. Oh, this conversation's gotten to a bad place, Jim. We gotta, we gotta turn around. <laughs> Turning it around. Okay. So one of the things I've run into, um, being a non-binary individual who is also pregnant, is that. Dealing with the hyper-feminized culture of um, pregnancy. I was going to ask has... how your baby shower went. Because I've been to baby showers and it's just bizarre. You know what? Because we, my wife and I kind of took the reins on our on our baby shower. And we did have, I mean, my wife's best friend did a lot of the uh, leg work. But as far as, you know, theme and things we wanted to have uh, happen at the shower, uh, activities and stuff like that, because my wife and I really took the reins, um, it was actually a wonderful, fun uh, experience for us. And it was unlike any other baby shower we've ever attended. Uh, it was it, it was very much us. Um, we didn't do the whole, like, bizarre, ultra- um, like feminized uh, games that typically happen. Uh, we had literally like <clears throat> two activity stations. One was if you want to make a cute little onesie with puff paint, go for it. If you want to guess the date, wait, you know, uh, time, birth stuff, here's a here's a chart you could write on your guesstimate. And then we had a photo booth. So those were like the three activities. Otherwise, it was all let's just hang out. <laughs> That's just, wonderful. None of that. Yeah. None of that. Find the dirty diaper game, which was none, very strange. Um, <laughs> yeah, country none, baby none showers of, are really weird. I don't know if this is just like baby culture or if this is just southern baby culture, but it was really bizarre. Well, the thing I've experienced. No, and I I've been to quite a few baby showers myself, um, and all of them, of course, were straight couples, and. Um, They'd go for hours and hours and hours and uh, just one thing after another thing after another. And, you know, just f- rooms full of, of uh, super ultra femme women going, oh, you know, and uh, cooing over every little thing. And uh, that is definitely not what we wanted. So not only did we Thank limit you. the activities, we also limited the time. Like it was we had a hard stop like this thing is going to be two hours long and it the end of two hours we're done <laughs> like we're we're not gonna drag this out for five hours of oh nonsense were, so, there, were there any men at that baby shower because i don't know one. why every yeah every baby shower i ever go to there are no men present and i'm like i'm pretty sure there was i mean for straight baby showers i'm pretty sure a man was involved at some point we did invite um, multiple men. Um, I invited my office of engineering, but you know, coworkers. Uh, so and 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 uh, 
Jen also invited some of her male coworkers as well. But I think that men just kind of have this natural, and again, it's it's a cultural thing. It's not like it, they've been culturally trained that a baby shower is not where a man goes. Uh, so we did have one man, and that was uh, my wife's best friend's husband. Um, and uh, he's just the coolest dude. Uh, but. And well, and, and then their son, but I don't really count him as a man. He's a baby. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we we did have one man there, but really the rest of the crowd was it was like ninety um, percent lesbians and <laughs> then a few kind of straight women who looked lost. Uh, so, <laughs> poor ladies, they were like, "This is not the baby shower I thought was going to happen." They literally like huddled together at a single table. No, <laughs> they didn't need to do that. They didn't Come need join. to do that. They didn't need to do that. Um, and it was funny because I'd look up and I'd see kind of our lesbian friends trying to like engage them, you know, and they just kind of like chit chat for a couple seconds ex- exchanging pleasantries. And then clearly there was just an awkward vibe and they'd move on. Oh, no. <laughs> so, Why does like, this happen? Well, you know, it's and again, they're lost. You know, it's like because uh, I, I thought our baby shower was was kick ass. And, you know, and I will I will confess um there is something sort of mildly pleasurable about watching straight people be uncomfortable in a queer space uh. <laughs> because the, because the opposite is typically the truth. Very so. So it's like, haha, now you know how we feel most of the time when we're in, you know, a, a cause most spaces are straight spaces by default. Right. Right. So to, to watch uh, straight people be uncomfortable in a, in a queer space, it's like this feeling you're feeling, this is our life, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Right. I just, I find it, man, I feel it. You need to take control of this conversation, Jen, because I feel it. I feel it in my bones. I'm ready to start shit-talking straight people. And that's just not the vibe. <laughs> it's not the vibe I want for this podcast yeah. regarding my no, own no, no, personal no. feelings. Like, it's just not. Um, no, and I, and I don't think that's what we're doing. No. I, I think it's, it's, it's one thing to just say, you know, this is a feeling that we feel all the time. And, and to have, you know, this other group who, and the thing is, it, it all comes down to privilege, right? It all comes down to this invisible privilege that um, you don't understand you have until it's, it's gone for a minute. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> you know? And so right. I think that's kind of what, when straight people come into a queer space that they suddenly experience that role reversal. And so I think it's just good. You know, um, I think it's a good experience for everyone to have, because I mean, I, myself, you know, I've, I have white privilege. Mm -hmm. I have white privilege and it's one of those things where you don't really feel it until you're put in a scenario where you don't feel it. And then you're, then you're faced with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you're faced or you're in a scenario where you're so hyper aware of your privilege that you're faced with it. So it's like, it's always going to be extreme. It's either you're exposed to, you're exposed to your own privilege in a super hyper aware way or in a way where suddenly that is taken away from you and you recognize that how it's benefited you this whole time and you didn't realize it. So, you know, I don't think it's shit talking to say that everybody should have an experience where they're suddenly faced with their own privilege and what it affords them or doesn't afford them as far as things they have to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, so that's, that's the pleasure I got from it. <laughs> it's like, it's not like a stick, a stick salt in the wound situation or to, to point fingers at anyone. It's more of a recognize in this moment, um, 
that you do have this privilege that you've never acknowledged or maybe been faced with and suddenly you're faced with it. And how are you going to deal with this new information that you now have? Are you going to be woke <laughs> or, or are you going to, to brush it aside and, and move forward? So that's, and that comes down to the individual person. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm trying to stop myself from saying something dumb, not dumb, but like going off topic when I, I would have thought that the straight woman would have had more fun there, I suppose, if not only for the fact that, you know, both participants of the baby, you and your wife are so involved, considering that when you think about baby culture, it is very hyper feminized, feminized, that's the word you said, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's very hyper feminized. And it's very much like the, the woman, quote unquote, the woman does everything and then I, I I don't know I would you would think that they would welcome it more considering that would mean both partners were so like and I understand that like yes of it hmm how to say this without stepping on toes <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking like as I said going to a straight person's baby shower and seeing no men there at mm-hmm. all and it's just weird that they have, like, yes, women women deserve their spaces. Dear God, women deserve their spaces, considering all of the spaces that only cater towards men. But to think that for something like a baby, like, this is something that both of them brought into the world together, that they both agreed to raise together, in most cases. Um, gosh, this is so complicated. I was not prepared for this conversation. <laughs> but it's like, you would think that in these environments where these gender roles are being broken down, you would think they'd be a little more welcoming to that, to like showing just the love of both people in the partnership coming together for this thing. And, you know, the thing is, is it's not, and and, and the, the the straight gals who attended our, our baby shower, it's, they weren't poo-pooing it. They weren't, and it wasn't like they were, they wasn't like they were, they were hiding away, you know, um, in, in, you know, like, uh, shy, you know, like afraid to, to, in, um, like speak to anyone. It wasn't that at all. It was just that kind of aura of these are my people because they are also straight. So I'm going to tribe up with them because I just feel like this is more comfortable for me. And the thing is, is our, because we push so hard against the hyper feminization, uh, especially, you know, on my, really for me, you know, my wife is, is a, <laughs> my wife is very feminine She's because I've always, yeah, I've always been very, very attracted to feminine women. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I mean, I love how feminine my wife is. Uh, so, uh, really more for my comfort, you know, she, um, kind of, um, deferred to me as far as how this, what this baby shower would look like. And so I really toned down the feminization of, of the baby shower itself. And I think that maybe left, you know, um, our straight friends a little bit at sea because they know how to relate to a hyper feminine um, experience. They didn't know how to relate to this sort of muted version of it. And also being surrounded by generally, um, more mask presenting, uh, lesbians, you know, and not being surrounded by a bunch of girly femme women again, who are, uh, kind of, uh, embracing this sort of hyper, you know, um, I keep saying every bib that they look exactly. at. Exactly. 
Exactly. Exactly. That's not what was happening. You know, people were talking about soccer. People were talking about, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, construction because we've got a couple of friends who are currently building a cabin. You know, and you know, talking about things like that and <laughs> and uh, you know, or talking about ERP stuff. I think that also kind of left the straight folks out because they weren't as involved or at all involved in like ERP stuff. And a lot of the attendees of our baby shower were ERPers. So, you know, you have that common language happening and then you've got these people on the outside kind of going, well, I don't know. I mean, it'd be the same thing as if you got a group of Star Wars fans together and then a, a lady sewing circle and they'd be like, well, we know that Princess Leia is a person, you know, <laughs> like, like they don't know how else to engage in that conversation. So, right. you know, uh, it, I don't want to say, yeah, no, the, everyone behaved wonderfully and was very, you know, warm and, and congratulatory and, and sweet. Um, it's just that kind That's of thing good. of like feeling, I don't feel like I fit into this group of people, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Right. Uh, so um, it, it was more than that than, than anything else, I think. We've talked a lot about this baby shower. <laughs> we have, we've spent a good deal of time on it, but I mean, it's a good parallel, right? It's a, it's a it good is. point of reference. It is. Yeah. I was not prepared for those conversations. Sometimes yeah. I wish I knew, like I had plans for what we would talk about just so I could sound a little more smart in these conversations. <laughs> but I mean, it was pretty, it, it's just off the cuff, I guess. I just, I know more than anyone that you should like process what you're going to say first before you open your mouth. <laughs> but at the same time, now I have something to think about for later. For, for me, the biggest struggle has been, um, and fortunately now we have a midwife. I, we'd been going to um, our OB uh, for prenatal care primarily for the majority of this pregnancy. That's a thing that still exists. Midwifery? Oh, yeah. Midwifery? <laughs> yeah. Wow, midwifery. That, <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounded like something completely different, but continue continue about this midwife. Um, well, before I talk about the midwife, though, I want to talk about... Um, uh, the experience with the OB's office. So oh uh, the the medical network that we belong to here um, in Western Washington um, is actually very progressive uh, on oh. the on the front end of things. Like when you go in and you fill out your personal information, it, they do ask you questions like, how do you identify? And they'll list, you know, male, female, non-binary, gender fluid, trans. Like, you know, you can click that. You know, what is your preferred name? You can identify that. Um, how do you identify, you know, your, your sexuality and they give like, not just, you know, um, gay, uh, straight or gay, but also, uh, pan and ace. And I mean, they give you like really progressive options. The problem is that this information doesn't necessarily filter down to the, to the people on the front lines, meaning, you know, the nurses and the desk folk, you know, who are checking you in what and is the point of it then. Yeah, anyway. it's. Yeah, I know. It's it's like they're trying, but they haven't smoothed it out, you know, yet. So one thing that has been really frustrating for me is, of course, I go by Jen, um, but that is not my name on my birth certificate. What? Uh, but no. Sorry, sorry. Continue. I was caught for. I was caught off what card? <laughs> I mean, my name is a nickname of my actual. Oh, of, okay, of, okay, okay, okay. So it is it is a nickname, but I've adopted it as my name name. And I mean, I've actually toyed with the idea of legally changing it just to Jen. Um, because I don't know who that other person is. I don't. It's 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 as close as you can get to essentially a trans person having a having a dead name, you know? Mm -hmm. And um so that has been a frustration with the 
Obi's office of going in and them calling my full given birth name. That's like, and, and I'll say to them every time, just call me Jen, please just call me. It's in my file. Just call me Jen. Um, and so, so that's one thing. And then going into the back and, um, the nurse, despite the fact I've seen this, the nurses like at this point, dozens of times over, we refer to the baby as a they, as a they be, because we don't they know be. if they're male or female. But if you say they in a, um, you know, OBGYN's office, they immediately think twins. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I, I can get that. I, I actually understand that part. <laughs> But the problem is, you know, I explained it once, twice, three times should be the capper because we're seeing each other a lot. You know, we're seeing each other a lot. So it's like I've explained this three times. I should not have to explain it more than that. It's like, so you it just work got... here. You know how many how many buns are in this oven? Come on now. <laughs> exactly. It's not like you don't have my medical chart up right in front of your face. It's, <laughs> it's right not there. Like, it's not like it doesn't say singleton. Come on. Which is, you know, the actual medical term for a, you know, single pregnancy, just a one baby is singleton. So I'm like, it's not like it's not right there on my freaking screen. I should not have to clarify this. So that has also been frustrating, trying to get them to embrace, um, you know, they as a gender neutral pronoun. Uh, But now that we're with a midwife, uh, which was always the goal, by the way, the goal was always to transition care to a midwife. Um, Our midwife is fantastic. Uh, She, you know, was the first one to say, listen, I've not really done a whole lot of um, work with uh, queer couples, but, and I haven't really done any work with non-binary individuals, but I'm willing to learn and, you know, and I, and, and please forgive me if I ever slip up and, and she's been fantastic. Like, it's so cool. Like, unlike um, with our traditional doctor's office, you, you don't necessarily get to see full chart notes with a traditional doctor's office. You just kind of get the cliffs notes that are make, kind of redacted down to, well, this is what we think they'll understand. You know, <laughs> they don't need to know all this other stuff with our midwife. We get to see the full chart notes and it was great because the first set of chart notes we, we received from our first visit was Jen is a insert my age <laughs> pregnant person, not pregnant, female pregnant person. And I was like, How I lovely. love this. I'm in love with our midwife already. The, yes. And they referred to the baby as they instead of using um, gender markers. I mean, because we genuinely don't know. We honest to goodness don't know. Uh, so, um, but instead of saying he slash she, they referred to the baby as they. So that was like oh you're getting it you're getting it awesome and we haven't had to i haven't had to do any correction she's never called me by anything other than jen um and she's just great and and i know that if she does make a slip up and if i correct her she's not going to get all like weird about it you know so it's it's just it's just such a relief that's sweet i know i'm gonna have to look up this stuff about midwives like how much do they get paid what do they, what do they do? Like I, that's, that's something off this podcast, but I'm just like, now I have things to look up. Well, it's interesting, you know, I mean, that's a whole other tangent to go down, uh, the, the kind of, um, loss of midwifery as an art form in the past hundred years, because men, male doctors came in and thought they could do a better job because they know better because they're men. Um, That's despite this being a hundred years, dear God, I thought it was forever. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's what well, I mean. That's forever. But I mean that within the medical community, um, 
it's largely been a a uh, development within the last 100 years or so. Uh, and you know, again, there's a whole bunch of history. I can send you links. Uh, you but um, but yeah, it's like despite this being a, an art form really meant for individuals of a um, assigned female uh, kind of um, place, yeah, men men don't get me started. Um, so, yep. <laughs> but there's this this misunderstanding that you can only give birth in a hospital now. You know, midwives don't exist. It's like no, actually, midwives have never stopped working. Um, and I'm discovering that in some cases, and it seems this is the case with our insurance company, insurance companies prefer midwives because they cost less. No surprise on this side. <laughs> <laughs> and majority of pregnancies are healthy, um, you know, non-complicated pregnancies. And despite me being a bit older for a first time, uh, you know, uh, mom, um, I still, my pregnancy has been perfectly healthy and um, tickety-boo, as they say in England, this whole time. So <laughs> there's no reason for me to have to give birth in a hospital setting, which I just is completely, <laughs> I don't. Uh, that is the absolute opposite of the situation that I want to find myself in when this kid decides to make an appearance. Oh, so. God. So Because so I your... don't, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's your, this midwife, she's like an office or does she come by to say you're like hospice or something no 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 so there are things called birthing centers um, oh, okay okay and and midwives depending on how they're licensed can either be licensed to deliver at a birthing center or at home um we opted to go with the birthing center uh, which is kind of like a middle ground between you know home and hospital uh they've got a few more uh, gadgets and gizmos that at their uh, you know that are available to them at a birthing center than they'd have if they were coming to your house um and uh as a just in case you know situation um and so and they just have a you know facility that's meant to um be a part of the birthing process. Whereas your home is not really meant to be, you don't have stuff built into your house. <laughs> you right, know, to accommodate right. this typically. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's, um, that's kind of, we opted to go with the, with the birthing center and, and a midwife. Now our midwife, she does both home and center birth. Uh, but again, we've opted for home for, for center. Uh, and uh, she does have a, a, an office at the birthing center that we, we go to for our checkups. Um, and yeah, it's just really, it's just, it's just so much more comfortable and relaxed. And, and, um, yeah, one thing I ran into a lot at the, at the OB's office was again, I'm an older, older first time mother. So like when thing, because things have been going well, like everything's been perfect. Everything has been perfect. And the look of shock on people's faces when they're like, Oh, this is perfect. Like you haven't had any issues. And I'm like, why are we surprised? This is rude. You're being rude. Well, <laughs> you, know? you know how society is. It makes you think that after 30, a woman's useless. Mm. <laughs> Oy. So yeah, it's uh, and it's just so sad to see that thought mentality um, prevalent through women. <laughs> Because, you know what I mean? Like, the nurses and the doctors that are, are obese, are, they're women. They're all women. And yet they still have these opinions and they feel like they they are caught up in this this binary way of thinking. And uh, it's frustrating. It's like, shake yourself free of that. Come on. You know, you don't need to just think because, you know, um, there's this 
and it's not to say that it is a myth that older, you know, mothers, first time mothers have, have issues. They do. They absolutely do. But we're talking by a zero point, you know, zero eight percent difference. It's not like this sweeping difference between uh, a first time mom who's under 35 and a first time mom who's over 35, you know, uh, so that that's where it gets really frustrating. It's like, stop assuming that just because I'm older that things are going to go wrong. Right. Because that, you know, <laughs> now if I had other factors involved, like other health conditions involved that, that would up the possibility of high risk, I, that's different, but I don't. So it's like, can we just treat me like I'm a normal human being, please? And not, and not look at me like, what witchcraft must I be doing at home to trick these tests into thinking that I'm perfectly healthy and everything's fine, you know? You don't need to recalibrate your machine, Karen. I'm fine. Exactly, exactly. Because that's kind of the feeling I got sometimes, you know, at the regular OB's office was like, what, what chicanery are you pulling off to make things look like they're okay? It's like, I'm not, I'm just living my life here, cooking a baby. Like, I don't know what. <laughs> cooking a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my gosh. Baby business. I don't even know. So, I guess, man, how do I ask, and how do I ask questions that don't seem stupid at this point? There um, are no such things as stupid questions. Well, okay. Tell me about the baby's room. I don't know why I'm asking these questions. Why am I asking these questions? Because I actually well, do want to know. <laughs> well, unfortunately, um, the room that the baby was going to have is my mother's room right now. So uh, uh, we are... Are they sharing? No. Oh, <laughs> no, they're oh, not. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, we are uh, reconfiguring um, uh, our bedroom. Uh, to accommodate a baby space, which I mean, makes sense anyway. The baby would be with us uh, for, you know, quite a, quite a good period of time after they arrive at any rate and probably wouldn't transition to their own room until closer to one years old, uh, one year old. Why did I pluralize years? Okay. Anyway. Um, and uh... <laughs> it's going to feel like multiple years when, when it's done. <laughs> it, it probably will. Um, but so, so yeah, so right now we don't have a quote nursery. Uh, baby does not have their own room, but um, eventually they will, um, but right now we're just, uh, going to be reconfiguring our bedroom, which is one of the things I'm stressed about because we haven't moved any furniture yet. And I'm like, well, I can't move it. So are we stopping by Home Depot and grabbing a couple guys? You know, like, what are we doing? <laughs> so... Oh, I wish I could go over there and help. Oh, I appreciate that friend. As my, as my tiny stature, I would definitely attempt to help the most of my ability. I appreciate that friend. Thank <laughs> you. It's a thought, it's a thought that counts. Um, I guess my question is... Man, do we have time for this question? How are you navigating, you know, well, you said you, the, your baby's room is now mixed up with your room because your mother is there, but how are you navigating toys and like clothing and stuff for your, for your baby when you're wanting them to be gender neutral? When like, we, we both know that the whole, literally since the day they're born, everything is like boy, girl everywhere. Well, it's actually not. Um, no? That's a, Thank you. No, Thank it's you really for not. Thank that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and here's the thing. Babies don't know from 
anything. They're babies. You know, you put, you, they need to have clothing. You put clothing on them. Um, <laughs> but all of the clothing that we have acquired through either hand-me-down or uh, baby shower, you know, or, or gifts from the registry uh, has all been a very, very neutral. Uh, lots of animal print, you know, designs, lots of yellows and greens and purples. Um, occasionally, um, We'll get something that's kind of a gray and a blue, and but I mean it's still like the design itself is very neutral, uh, and uh, the only thing that we've put our foot down on is no pinks because pinks are there's you're just you are definitely identifying you know clearly in the binary when you go with a, a pink with bows like it's like mm. uh, <laughs> so uh, but for the most part I would say ninety eight percent of the stuff that we've received has been gender neutral which is really really nice. Um, and actually, the number of people who have told us that they're so grateful that we are going gender neutral is huge because then there's not this pressure on them to try to pick something like extra girly or extra boy-y. You know, it's, it's, it's like, oh, I can just, you know just go right down the line and I don't have to think about it. Like I can get this kid a superhero outfit and it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so that's, uh, whoops, I banged my mic there. Uh, so that's been, that's been nice when people are like, Oh, thank goodness you're going gender neutral. Cause that takes the pressure off of us. It's like, Oh, great. <laughs> I've only had one or two people complain and say, Oh man, it's so hard to find gender neutral clothes. I'm like, maybe that's cause you need to take your mind out of the binary yourself. You know, uh, not it's not necessarily the clothing options. It's that you're stuck thinking in a certain way. I mean, to be fair, I've I've never willingly gone through the baby section of any kind of store without it being a shortcut to something else. So yeah. I'm just I'm just <laughs> ignorant because I'm ignorant of babies. Period. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, toys. Um, again, all the toys we've received have been you know rainbow color stuff you know uh or or again a neutral color or nothing that there's no such thing as a boy's toy and a girl's toy in my opinion boys can play with you know social culturally considered girls toys and it doesn't matter you know i mean i grew up playing with teenage mutant ninja turtles i grew up playing with you know the ewok playset instead of a barbie dream house oh my god it didn't you know uh, so, and I did get Barbies cause my mom really wanted me to get into dolls cause my mom collects dolls, but I was just like, you know, I'd end up using Barbie's dream chariot as, as like a motor, like I pretended it was a, like a speed car, like a racing car. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, my mom would be like, oy vey. But as a result, you know, I never really kind of had this application of like, oh, that's a boy's toy. That's a girl's toy. It's like, it's just a toy. It's just a toy. It doesn't matter. You know? So like, like kids have their imagination. Right, right. Now I feel dumb for asking that question. It's not a dumb question. It's not a dumb question. I don't know. <laughs> Let me assure you. It just gets me how it's like, you can literally, like the argument with anybody who's talking about the whole boy and girl thing, like the toys being separated by that or the anything, you, you can literally just go back photos from like 50 years and it's completely the opposite. Like babies I mean, you can energy, go back less than that. Yeah, I mean... Probably. I just can't. I don't have like a specific date that I can call to. So I was like, 50 sounds safe. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like everybody, every baby was wearing a dress. Or mm -hmm. I don't even know why you would call it a dress at that point. It's a baby. 
Right. And the thing is, is, I mean, if you go back to, I mean, if you want to go back, you know, a little bit far, if you go back before the Great Depression, um, babies and young children um, up through like uh, four years old were dressed almost in white. Like they were, they were white. There wasn't a boy color or girl color. It was everybody wears the same color and that color is white. You would think and, that they wouldn't pick it white though because children are messy. But that's why they picked white because they could bleach. Oh, yeah, there was bleach then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and it really wasn't until the 1950s, uh, 40s and 50s, that there was this sudden um, war, a uh, color war, for what's a male color, what's a female color. Because for a long time, pink was considered a masculine color, and blue was considered a feminine color. And there was, it was literally marketing teams at war with each other Absolutely. in the 40s. Uh, that kind of determined ultimately the winners were boys get blue, girls get pink. And that's when you started seeing this shift in the binary of boy versus girl in clothing and toys and things like that. You really didn't start to see it. So really it was the 1950s when things started to go wrong. Uh, and, I um, feel like you could say that for everything almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and so then we get into like the sixties and the seventies and things start to actually even out a little bit and become a little more gender neutral. Uh, you know, I'm, I constantly think about that, um, Lego ad from the early 1980s of this girl who made this fantastically abstract piece of Lego art and she's, and they literally just let her use her clothes that she wore off the street. They didn't put her in any sort of wardrobe for the shoot. So she's wearing jeans and a really cool, like little stripy ring neck tee. You know, she's got her hair in, in, in braids and she's proudly holding this, this, this thing she's constructed that only she knows what it is. And the ad says, it doesn't matter, you know, what it is, what matters, how proud she is or something like that. Aww. And like that was, cause Lego was like truly the gender neutral toy. Like it could be anything. Right. right. And um, so I remember that, that ad very clearly. And then something started to shift in the mid to late eighties where we started to go back to this hyper, um, you know, gentrification of, male versus female toys and clothing and it just kind of continued into the 90s and has become this hairy beast again you know and uh and things like um you know gender reveal parties that started in the early to mid thousands didn't help i mean there have been gender reveal parties for a while right but as far as them becoming a part a cornerstone of pop culture that only happened in the early to mid thousands and I just love the fact that the gal who kind of got that started, the whole gender reveal thing, the child that she um, had done the gender reveal party for, has now come out as non-binary. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, okay, <laughs> let's let's all take a breath and realize that um, putting so much emphasis on gender is stupid, and let people be people and figure themselves out, you know, and live their lives. Uh, and I think we're starting to to tip that way. Now, there's a large faction of uh, the public who resist that because it's scary to them. And uh, things that are scary, of course, must be stopped. But I ultimately think that uh, we're on the right side of history here and getting things to a far more equitable place um, as far as uh, gender and identity and things like that. We'll get there. It's a little scary right now, but we'll get there. Yay. I like talking to you. You're so very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's better to be a little more optimistic than pessimistic. I, think I mean, I, I gonna... agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. If it was something that I could like rewire in myself, I would definitely be like, yeah, optimistic. I would definitely, 
here comes that voice in my head that's like, you know, you could choose to be optimistic. That's a thing you can do if you worked hard enough, but I'm afraid of hard work, so I don't know. <laughs> See, for me, it's easier to be optimistic than it is to, pe- for me, it takes work to be, to uh, be pessimistic. Um, so I think we're just opposites in that way. <laughs> um, this has been a great conversation, and though I would love to dive into it more, I know we have a time frame to go on to. So let's move on to the guest-to-guest question. The guest-to-guest question is where my guest from the last podcast asked my guest from this one a question without knowing who each other are, and you have a wild um, out-of-left-field question. Okay. And I'm very clever. I think I'm clever for that pun, and you'll see why in a minute. Okay. Um, so my last guest... Her question was, why is baseball so boring? And if it's not boring, please explain why you like it. Uh, well, I don't watch sports ball. I know. I was, I was thinking about uh, it. And I was like, I, this is going to happen. I want to have a guest who does not do anything about sports. So... <sighs> but I mean, I have of course watched, seen, seen baseball games. Um, I've played baseball, you know, and I've seen baseball games and here's why I think it's boring. I think it's boring because not a lot happens. It's essentially a modified multiplayer version of golf, which is also really boring, but it's essentially like you, half the players are sitting down half the time. And you have someone throwing a ball at someone else and that person trying to hit the ball. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. If they manage to hit the ball, inevitably, most of the time, that ball is going to be caught or or uh, relayed to another player uh, quickly enough that that person is immediately out. Um, you have... I mean, and, and the whole process of, of pitching the ball to hitting the ball can be extremely protracted because I do know enough about baseball to know that you get either three strikes or four fouls. <laughs> um, but you can, in that process, get that whole thing can be stretched out to a, a number of six or seven pitches, right? Which is just like, geez, Louise, can we just hit the freaking ball and move on? Um and then there's the arguments between the umps and the coaches and the, it's just a very long process that's, and the fact that the innings aren't timed, you know, that also adds to it because it's based on how many outs not versus how much time. Cause you've got like games like basketball, right? Where you have quarters that are clearly defined, defined by time limitations. You don't have that in baseball. So I think all of this contributes to why baseball is boring. I'm so glad this was given to you and not somebody who would have been like, fuck if I know, it's just boring. Because <laughs> that was essentially kind of how I answered it, which is, I don't know, it's just boring because sports are boring. I don't, I don't like sports unless I'm participating or I have no example of where I like sports because I just, I don't like sport. I, is Ninja Warrior a sport? I guess I kind of like that one. <laughs> That's I. That's considered sport, yeah. Is it? I think that's considered okay, sport. I yeah. like I like Ninja yeah. Warrior sports, and only like the qualifying rounds. After that, I don't think I've ever watched Ninja Warrior past the qualifying rounds, so I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what comes next. Um, but yes, if it's if it's sports in that aspect, yes, I like it. Um, I th- I think after that, you actually get to know the people, and then I don't like it anymore. <laughs> You only like it when they're anonymous competitors. You're not interested yeah. once they become I human mean, beings. I mean, 
you know that their backstories are either modified to be the most interesting so you get invested in them or they're just like outrageous so it's kind of yeah can't i just have a dull person that says you know i just want to do this so i can say yeah i was i did this but no it's that's never the case i i guess i get really irritated by overly fabricated things now okay yeah like overly fabricated things that try to be original it's just i i don't know it's it's gotten to the point that I would rather watch like British anything because they don't fabricate things as much like the Bake Off shows. I love British Bake Off. One, it doesn't give me anxiety because that morning clock thing is so crazy, but also because their their background stories are like mellow. They're like life. They're not like yeah. They're not like they're endearing. Oh, yeah, not like oh my mom's having cancer, so I want to witness for her kind of thing because I I can't stand right. any more of those stories. Yeah. Sorry to everyone whose moms have cancer. I'm not saying that your story's unoriginal. I'm just saying that somebody's trying to sell that, and it's sad. Anyway, we got off on a tangent. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> you feel strongly about this. I. I why did we come here? Um, please, <laughs> what will be your question for our next guest? Uh, well, I think keeping in line with the theme of our conversation today, I would like to ask the next guest um, if they have children uh did they make the decision to find out before they were born uh what gender they were going to be assigned um and uh, or if they plan to have children is that something they'd want to know and if so why and if not also why all right then so what will be your recommendation for the audience the listeners the beautiful people out there in the world um you know I, I was gonna come at this and be completely abstract, uh, but I I apologize. I'm going to I'm going to recommend a piece of media. I, <laughs> uh, I know I said challenge accepted before we started recording for an abstract uh, right. suggestion, but uh, I just keep circling back to one of my favorite podcasts of all time uh, that is actually technically retired. Aww. They are still, however, they are still, however, putting up new content uh, from. Um, older uh uh shows that they had recorded but not posted and that is the thrilling adventure hour and i love this show so much because it is an homage to old time radio performance uh and they have uh essentially serials as s-e-r-i-a-l-s serials of um ser- of shows like um instead of having the lone ranger uh they or you know or or um buck buck rogers they sort of combined it and came up with sparks nevada marshall on mars <laughs> and <laughs> and uh instead of and, and you know and uh, instead of having like um an orson wells style kind of spooky show they have a show um called beyond belief uh, where that's hosted by a couple of alcoholic, um, an alcoholic husband and wife who are constantly bothered by ghosts and spirits. They just want them to leave them alone so they can drink in peace. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's just two examples. They have multiple, multiple uh, other serials that they use, and each episode is just um, one episode of one serial. So it might be an episode of Sparks Nevada, it could be an episode of Beyond Belief, could be an episode of Colonel TikTok. Uh, uh, I think he's Colonel TikTok, Justice of Time, or something like that. Uh, you know, it could be uh, Amelia Earhart, Fearless Flyer. Anyway, it's just 
just delightful and they have a live band playing um music to accompany uh their the storytelling they have a foley artist to provide sound effects um and i mean the performers are all well-known uh comedians uh, in the la scene like um, paget brewster and paul f Tompkins, and uh the writing is just really fun and fast so yeah thrilling adventure hour Again, the show itself is retired. They've, they're no longer performing live, but they are still posting new episodes based on previously recorded content, and uh, everybody should check it out. Oh, that, that's really cool. Okay, so you do not disappoint in any facet at all, <laughs> is what I, what I hear, because you were like, sad you couldn't think of something abstract, but that's really cool. I That's exciting. I might have to add that to my list of things to listen to. I will... Never climb out of the podcast hole. I'm always listening to podcasts now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny in that I have to actually stop myself from listening to podcasts because I have to spend so much time editing and preparing uh, my podcast, which I'm going to plug, Herb Fiction Edition Podcast. <laughs> if you're a fan of fan fiction, you're a fan of Winona Earp, we're the place to be. Absolutely. So where can people find you anywhere? Like anywhere, anywhere other than just your podcast. Other than my podcast, uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I've got two handles, the podcast handle, of course, EFA underscore podcast, and then my own personal handle, which is never heard of Jen. Um, and I'm also on Instagram under that same name, never heard of Jen. And I am on Tumblr also as never heard of Jen. Uh, but I will confess that I don't do a lot of posting to any of these accounts because the podcast takes the majority of my time. And if you're interested in learning more about the podcast, you can go to our website, efapodcast.com. All of our episodes uh, for all time are posted there. Um, and uh, you can you can check us out and see if it's something, something groovy you might want to dive into. Yay! Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time. I know you're tired. You're so tired. <laughs> and you're just ready to take a nap or, and or have a baby. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for taking time to come talk to us today. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs>